Hello and welcome to Overinvested, the podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Gavia and here's my co-host Morgan. Hello. So this week we are talking about the TV series The Terror, currently airing on AMC, or if you're one of these people who has like the app, you've already seen all of it. I've already seen all of it because they gave me screeners, which is great because I fucking love horrible things that happen at the polls. So I I was absolutely onto this show from day one. I was like, thank you for making a TV program about my favorite topic. Truly overinvested. <laughs> Morgan, I think she's watched the first three episodes. She's not as bowled, away, bowled over by this show as I was. And I'm fine with that because the reason why I like this show is not so much because I'm like, oh, it's the best show ever, but because it is about Victorian men dying horribly, so horribly at the North Pole. And that is like my favorite sum genre of history. Um, if you follow me on social media, you've probably seen many live blogs of me reading people's horrible memoirs from like 1857 and that sort of thing. So it's great. Specifically, this is about the Franklin Expedition, which you may have kind of heard of vaguely. The infamous thing about the Franklin Expedition, led by Sir John Franklin, is that they went missing and were never heard of again, basically. Um, they were trying to find the Northwest Passage um, through Canada. They were on two wooden sailing boats, um, which were originally basically kind of built in the kind of post-Napoleonic War era. So this was like when Britain had this huge navy. And then they were like, we don't have anything to do with the navy. So why don't we send them and explore stuff? So they sent some people who mostly were not really experts to go to the North Pole and die. Both ships did very much go missing. Basically, they were only found like five years ago. Um, We're still trying to figure out everything that happened. They died in many, many ways. But this show is kind of partly taken from historical evidence and partly just straight up fantasy because it's based on a novel that kind of posits the idea that maybe they were all torn apart by a horrible monster. Um, (laughs) Which, in my opinion, is somewhat the weak point of this show because... You really don't need a monster when everyone's already dying of hypothermia, dehydration, fighting each other, eating poison food, scurvy, many other things. Anyway, Morgan, hit me. You've just watched these three episodes, the first three, before things really get bad. Yes, I watched the first three last night in a row. I powered through them out of dedication. I did not enjoy myself. The whole time I was like, I know why... Gav suggested this, and it's because she's obsessed with polar explorers. But there's also no excuse, because this is a show about a million white men in a confined space where nothing fucking happens. And I was like, oh my god, oh my god. They are played by tremendously talented and acclaimed character actors. Yes. The acting is mostly very good, and to be fair, it improved gradually over the course of the three episodes the first episode is absolutely the worst literally nothing happens except that men wander around in the cold and i was like no 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 this is not acceptable at the end of the second episode there's an encounter with this monster and one of the british men accidentally shoots an inuit man and there's this sort of scene with an inuit woman and I was like well this is more interesting than anything that has happened so far because there was a woman on the screen and then she also then sort of vanishes again although there she's in like one scene in the third episode I mean she's a main character right I like you can tell that yeah. this is she's going to come back but what became a me- like very clear to me as I was watching it 
And I kept thinking this in the first episode, and then still, as it progressed, was that this was an ex- is like a classic example of like the problem of television right now, which is that there's too much. There's too much television. And people will just throw obscene amounts of money at anything that no, that like no one's going to watch because sure just have a bunch of money to stage this like a like elaborate sets that cost clearly a ton of money and have 10 episodes that are 45 minutes long each to tell a story that could be and probably should have been a film this could have been a movie i imagine and it probably would have been very enjoyable. Instead, it's a television show that is stretched out. Why? Why is this taking so long? See, I think the stretched outness is essential because it is meant to be a long, slow road to hell. But I but think it's the reason... fucking boring. That <laughs> is the problem. Probably, I will, I will grudgingly admit <laughs> that this show could be snappier. Um, however, I think kind of the, the background for why this even exists in the form that it does is the AMC is like desperate to capitalize on the audience for The Walking Dead, which over the past season they've been hemorrhaging viewers and also getting absolutely panned by critics. Um, I don't watch The Walking Dead and I never will. It sounds fucking horrible. Um, but this is kind of in the same vein, but as a classy prestige drama. So it's like, we're a historical British group full of respected character actors, but also it's literally by people being like torn limb from limb in every episode. Well, this is, so I read an interview with, um, the two showrunners uh, last night after I had watched these episodes, they are David Kajanich, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing his name, I apologize, and Sue Hugh, and they were talking about their kind of inspirations for the show and the references they were taking for it um, stylistically, obviously, because as you say, it was you know based on the, this historical event in this novel. And the stuff they were talking about, they talked about the Walking Dead connection and how AMC wanted to have the sort of horror thing. But then they were, Ridley Scott produced this because he produces Mm -hmm. like a gazillion things constantly. But they were talking about wanting to do like an homage to Ridley Scott and talking about Alien like as being a main thing. And I just thought, oh my God, like this is so tragic because this is not like Alien in any way. But like I had already been thinking while watching it, like this so should have been a movie there's not enough t- tension or even like again i haven't watched the whole thing obviously but even like five episodes just like shorter than this because if a key thing in this is going to be this monster or this encounter with these inuit people which we'll talk more about later that doesn't show up until the end of the second episode right so you watch the first episode and none of the sort of main things except like the fact that they're in the arctic have, have appeared yet so unless you have a pre-existing sort of investment in this which you obviously do the audience is going to be like okay whatever but it got me thinking about like how horror functions as a genre right and obviously the walking dead has been like massively successful but it's hard to think of many other examples of tv I mean, the way the the way The Walking Dead succeeds is that it's essentially a kind of a soap opera cliffhanger thing. So every single episode is just structured around 
you're constantly stressed about who's gonna die next, even though logically you know that it's not gonna be one of the fucking main characters. But like, that's how they just kept people for so long. Right. Which is not the same thing as no. a horror movie. Right? No. I mean, the best like horror show on television right now is The Americans, which is not a horror movie. It just ex- elicits the same emotional reaction. <laughs> existential dread and nausea in me as I watch. But that's, of course, doing a very, very different thing. And the Aliens comparison I found super interesting because that's obviously like pe- also people stuck in a box. Yeah. Story. And I get why they would be coming to it with that. I mean, it's I think Aliens like an easy one because they know they want to sell it off Ridley Scott, but also it's more directly like the thing the john carpenter movie which is literally set at one of the poles and is about this creature that sort of fucks with people and can disguise itself as stuff right but you just can't maintain that level of tension in a television show at all even if it's like a very short miniseries because the audience is breaking it up but especially over 10 episodes like it's just not possible and so, in a way, I think they set themselves a task that was not, like, that was inachievable. Well, I right? have I have a lot of thoughts about this, this genre divide situation, because it's adapted from this book, which I've not read, which is a horror reimagining of the historical events. And I feel like maybe they could only get the show made as an adaptation of this very successful best-selling book, rather than doing it as a historical drama. Because what it should be is the same tone is this show so like literally a horror story because it is a horror story but basically historically accurate because all of the stuff that i actually found effective kind of as a psychological horror thing was just the stuff that was real and they were not equipped to make it a horror story with the monster because like when you see the monster it's like the opposite of the effect of alien where you know you have this long tantalizing period where you're scared of something you can't see and then when it shows up you're like holy shit this is completely horrifying whereas the monster in this show once you see it i was like what really um and kind of and like there's also like you know as the series progresses you can tell that this monster is having a psychological effect on people and like they're starting to go mad and like attack each other and stuff and it's like you could have that without having a physical monster you can kind of have it be like more of a spiritual thing or even just be like everyone is having serious mental distress right now because they've been stuck on an iceberg for two years (laughs) well it's clear just from the watching a couple episodes that the monster is the gothic representation of colonialism yes yes it is indeed which yeah i mean it's not a deep read no it's fairly transparent that's what's going on um and they talk about that a little bit in this interview which we'll link to in the show notes um and so it's i obviously have no idea what the thought process was behind the adaptation or how they managed to get it on the air or what but they obviously are trying to do something with it that isn't just like, well, we have to have them scared by something. But at least in those early episodes, I found that quite frustrating because with the exception of this one woman who shows up and her father who dies almost instantaneously because he's been shot, it's all about the white men. Now, you can speak to what happens later and obviously like that there would be some kind of shift, but that also made me think about um, just how much media there is about kind of the colonial encounter. 
yes. between empire, usually the British Empire, but not exclusively. Or certainly like the media that we in the English speaking world consume is usually about the British Empire. And I mean, it's very areas. much stemming from literally the kind of the Victorian tradition of what people at the time would be viewing as kind of the horror story of going and meeting like the exotic locals. And I mean, there's literally even parts in the show where the characters are kind of talking about stories they've heard of Native Americans, like attacking the colonials and stuff like that. Right. And obviously, like the people making the show, part of the point is that these white men are sort of invading this place and it's bad and they're all going to die. And they're all plainly incompetent. Right. So it's not like they're endorsing their behavior. And I should say that one of the um, showrunners is a woman of color. I don't know her exact background because it's not her job to like post her ancestry on the internet. But I just felt sort of tired watching it at the beginning because these stories are almost always told from the point of view of the colonizer and not the colonized, at least in sort of mainstream culture. And I found that actress who plays the woman, um, whose name... I mean, she doesn't, she's just called, the, the actress is called Neve Nielsen and yeah. the character is kind of, they don't know her name, but her name, right. she's kind of nicknamed Lady Silence. Yeah. I found her immensely compelling in her brief screen time. And I just kept thinking, if this were a show about that woman and her experience of whatever, like this would be so much more interesting to me. And I get that it's easier to greenlight a show about a bunch of white dudes played by Kieran Hines and, and other also famous people. Loads of people have heard of John Franklin and the Franklin Expedition. <laughs> not in America, they have not. <laughs> I've never heard of it. I mean, I know maybe you. it's just so, Canadians. <laughs> yeah, I think it's. I mean, I'm sure that Canadians have. But in America, it's not Shackleton. People have heard of Shackleton. People have not heard of this, at least in my experience. But I I just was like, who cares? (laughs) Can we get something that's a little bit different for once, please? Um, But the answer is no. We'll just continue in this vein. Yeah, it was very frustrating to me. But you feel differently. I know. I do. So why don't you talk about I think about partly it's like your experience. I, I have a lot of assistance in watching this show because I have such a such a wealth of interest and background knowledge for this that as soon as they start introducing the main players, I'm like, oh yes, I know precisely the reason why like the Royal Navy is sending these ships out, which is like it's like I have exposition <laughs> that's happening like in my head that's not happening on screen. Um I obviously agree that this subgenre of fiction it it is somewhat worn out. <laughs> we we could have fewer stories which are just kind of repeating. The, I mean, this is to a certain extent like a remix of that because like the the original kind of genre, like the Victorian stuff, where it's all about like oh the horror of the unknown, and then like the sort of retro horror movie situation where it's like what happens if you build a high school in a Native American burial ground. And this, it's not exactly subversive, but like this one is very much being like guess whose fault this all is. And it's sort of just making it very clear that they've shown up and they're like disrupting the ecosystem and there's no reason for them to be there. And the entire project is it like it see it feels very pointless and they're all very bad at what they're doing. And they all just it's essentially about like self-destruction. But I would obviously be a bit more interested in seeing like more from the Inuit perspective. Like I think there's there's like a lot of kind of interesting history with this, like in reality as opposed to the book which I haven't read but apparently he did just 
literally like make up some fake Inuit religious mythological stuff for it, no. which is like you can't no. you can't do that. The author not into it. <laughs> um, basically, for a very long time, part of the reason why the fate of the expedition was quote unquote a mystery is just because all of the North American and British white people ignored what the Inuit locals were telling them happened. So, so like, obviously these two ships went missing. And after a while, like, you see this happen in the show, Franklin's wife and various other kind of sponsors in the UK started sending out um, other expedition ships to find out what happened. And, like, the reason why the Northwest Passage was eventually found and the reason why they mapped a ton of that part of the Arctic Circle is literally just because there were tons and tons of ships that were trying to go on, like, celebrity ghost hunting missions to try and find out what happened to the Erebus and the Terror, the two ships on Franklin's expedition. And within a couple of years, there was, uh, I think it was a Scottish explorer who went up there and, you know, he was someone who was actually, like, quite good at his job and could speak Inuktitut and kind of spoke to people and was like, what happened here? And they were like, well, your men didn't have a great time of it. They all starved to death. We met a few of them and they 100% were resorting to cannibalism. And just for a very long time, people just refused to believe this. In one of the later episodes, there's, like, a very minor kind of callback to this. I mean, obviously there is capital, there is cannibalism in the show, but there's a callback to this and there's a tiny cameo from Charles Dickens, which they don't explain on screen. And I was like, no, Dickens' role in this is essential. <laughs> because basically Dickens was like, he was like one of the many people who was a public John Franklin fanboy, um, which is also, by the way, hilarious because John Franklin was like not good at his job. Which is clear. Yes. From the show has the show, a very, yes. a very clearly quite biased uh, John Franklin was an idiot opinion, which is debated by many. But um, John Franklin, not great at being an explorer. He did manage to rise through the ranks of the Navy from quite like kind of not like well-born beginnings. But he went on several expeditions and at one point was the governor of Tasmania. None of those went well. He actually did have a prior expedition in northern Canada, which also ended in uh, cannibalism. So it's like, if it's happened once, don't do it again. (laughs) Also, he was too old to be running the expedition. But I digress. Um, Charles Dickens was like straight up a mega racist. And he had all these like public things where he was like, you can't you can't listen to the opinions of these savages like charring the name of our proud British boys so he like basically had like organized effectively a cover-up or like a PR campaign against discovering the actual truth of what happened which is that they ran out of food or their food was poisoned because it was in lead tins or whatever and they all died of malnutrition and resorted to cannibalism and then like decades and decades later they found very clear archaeological evidence that that was the case and because there's a lot of Inuit oral histories we do have kind of relatively reliable accounts of stuff that literally does sound like the most disturbing scary horror movie you can imagine like it's a lot scarier than a lot of stuff they actually end up with in the show because they have all these scenes where you know, characters are fleeing a monster or whatever. And if you read, we can link to it in the show notes, but there's a couple of kind of Inuit accounts where they're talking about, you know, basically you already live in a really secluded, dark place and a bunch of people who don't look like any people you've seen before come out of the darkness. They're all starving. They can't speak or communicate. So the local Inuit people kind of gave them some seal meat and like their own igloo to sleep in because they were like, we really don't want to interact with you because you're too frightening and you're walking corpses, but we do want to help you out. And they were so far gone that they just killed each other instead of eating the seal meat. 
Like, it, <laughs> it's, like it's just incredibly disturbing, like alarming stories. And that probably would have been better material to work with. Because like if the show is already very dark, but I think the kind of, they're trying to leaven the darkness by trying to like make it supernatural instead of just real. And it's like, no, the real yeah. stuff is already fucking grim. So just to have that part instead. Um, but yeah, that's why I think this like, partly the show is like trying to inject some Inuit viewpoints back into the story, but it's kind of not going far enough because obviously the lead Inuit character literally can't speak. Although you do have a lot of funny scenes where like she is just sitting there like, what the fuck, while someone like mansplains to her in English. And like, you can tell exactly what she's thinking because the performance is really great. But yeah. That's also definitely like a trope. Exactly. Right. Yes. Is the, the silent woman, which is literally what she's yeah. called. Especially, I mean, the it is, I think it is woman. executed well in this show, but it is a trope. Um, yeah. But if they had, if they'd done a show where it was sort of like partially from like two different perspectives, I think that would have been a more kind of intellectually rewarding and also ethically correct way of retelling that story yes. instead of just adapting <laughs> this book by some white guy who was like, imagine if there was a monster and that if you show up and you disrupt the environment, it eats you like a giant bear. And it's like a giant bear, you say. <laughs> Also, like, there are bears in the north, so... Well, this one's a like, big they're... bear, Morgan. Right. <laughs> when it showed up and it was literally a big bear, I was like, are we sure? It's not going to be, like, a Dementor or something? Like, I was expecting, like, a Dementor, because that would be more kind of in line with the gloom. Um, but yeah. yeah. Um, how did you find the sort of specific period details as an expert in <laughs> in these expeditions because the thing so i for those of you who are not aware i currently work at an antiquarian bookstore and there is one shot in i believe the first episode that i literally went back and looked at twice because i was so astonished where i think kieran hines but maybe not it doesn't matter is looking at a bookshelf with some old books that were so comically wrong that I, again, I literally was like, you've got to be kidding me, and scrolled back. And then that made me skeptical of everything else, because I was like, if they had this much money to make this show and they literally could not get some fucking books that looked correct. What were the books? Like, it was like, I don't even remember. But they all had the same font on their spines, that was not a font that would have been used and the spines all looked wrong. And I was like, I can't believe like it was not the sort of thing, obviously that like anyone would notice, but it was, if you know anything so obviously wrong that I was like, Oh, I mean, that is oh. a deep cut. <laughs> it is. On but the whole, I don't actually pay that much attention to kind of prop accuracy very much like I do tend to notice costumes more but I also tend to kind of ignore stuff of this historical inaccuracies because sometimes stuff has to be changed for viewership reasons I really I think one of the most interesting kind of details is the fact that they they are all wearing the officers are wearing like these fucking ridiculous uniforms all the time they're wearing gold epaulettes like it's so impractical and I think that's like kind of a good sign of they really indicate immediately how poorly prepared everyone was because instead of being yes. like let's because like at this like you know in the 19th century all of the successful explorers were people who were you know they, they 
they had good social skills and I guess for, you know, to a certain extent were anthropologists and they were like, what is the best way to survive here and how do I kind of get advice from experts? So they would be like, I'm going to make myself a kayak and wear fur. <laughs> and then the British Navy were like, we are going to fill some delicious lead-lined tins with food that will go bad and we're going to wear woolen coats that will soak horribly <laughs> and epaulets. And everyone will be wearing their starched white shirt for our sit-down dinners, which we will have at a dinner table, which we have carried with us to the North Pole. <laughs> and it's just awful. Um, so I did not notice any props that I felt were egregious, but... Well, it was less like I mean, obviously, I noticed that because that's what I do. Yeah. I was like, God, it reminded me of certain movies that have come out recently that have gotten like dragged on Twitter for having unbelievably bad Victorian um, newspapers, which is worse <laughs> than the book thing it just because, looks like, like a normal one. R- well, like not even a real newspaper now. Like you went into Photoshop and were like, oh, let's put a picture in, and it's a big Times New Roman text. And it's like that's not my how favorite this one works. is when there was there's a Jennifer Lopez movie where her love interest, she's like an English teacher or something, and her love interest gives her a first edition signed copy of, like, Chaucer. Yes! <laughs> it's like a book, and it's yes. like, Chaucer, you say? A first edition signed <laughs> copy of a book by Chaucer? And it's just like an old oh book. Oh my god, it's amazing. But the reason, like, once I noticed that, I was sort of thinking about it because so much of the what this show is selling itself as is like this lush period thing right and so then once i noticed that was wrong i was sort of like hmm (laughs) what else might be incorrect about this not that it's obviously like because it has the fantasy element it's not like it's depicting itself it's like a 100 percent. like it's fine again it was then interesting to think about how media markets itself right and what what it's offering and then or what it what it provides and what it doesn't. And because they were all so insane going on these trips, like doing the things like having their ridiculous meals in the in these ships, it's hard to know what is accurate and what isn't. And I'm not someone who watches historical dramas and is like, everything must be perfect. Like it doesn't matter. But because I was not into a lot of the other stuff, I was sort of like, well, you must at least give me something. Like, the one thing I was wondering about was all the coffins. Do you know if they brought coffins with them to bury people? Well, they would have had a lot of lumber. Right. But, like... They would have just had a room that was full of lumber. They would not have brought coffins with them. Because at one point, someone gets buried in a fancy coffin. And I was like, really? As far as I know. And also, I feel like if they had brought coffins, then all the sailors would have revolted because it would have been seen as bad luck. But... They would have had a lot of lumber and there would be se- there's like several shipmates who they're literally just a full-time carpenter. So I think at one point they like maybe even introduced someone as a carpenter. But like you see people putting kind of coffin. Definitely there's like the best coffin scene. I don't think you actually reached because it's maybe after episode three, like maybe episode four. Um, but when they kill off Franklin about... Did you see Franklin die in episode yes. three or is that episode? Yeah. So like when the only thing that's left is like a single leg wearing his stocking that they yes. tie up and put in a full size coffin. And I was like, this is the most grotesque thing I have ever seen. And I love it. <laughs> there is obviously no evidence to support this whatsoever. So they just had really perverse minds and was like, yeah, they would bury a single <laughs> stocking wearing leg. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I will say... For this show, I did not like that the acting was 
was very good. Kieran Hines playing an incompetent man. It's so excellent. Because I love Kieran Hines. I think there's a reasonably good chance, listeners, that you will have seen Kieran Hines in something. He's kind of a mainstay of British period dramas. If you've seen Rome, he's played Julius Caesar. And if you saw Justice League, he played the extraordinarily forgettable villain who was entirely CGI and there was no way of knowing who played him. Um, But he's kind of, he often plays sort of quite like dour characters or like a grim, you know, patriarch or what have you. And in this... He's playing this very foolish man who thinks that God is going to help them find the North Pole. And he's just aggressively optimistic. And of course, that means a lot of the sailors like him. And then his opposite number is played by Jared Harris, who is, as always, great. Um, And he's this sort of Irish alcoholic pessimist who's just there because he wanted to impress a girlfriend. Uh, (laughs) And he actually has experience going to the North Pole successfully and is like well, actually, what if we did some things that promoted safety, like sending out a party to explore into the safe places? And then (laughs) they do not do that. (laughs) Well, we recorded a mini episode about uh, Shackleton, in which we discussed briefly the film The Lost City of Z. Yeah, Um, which I am going to see. Yes, in which Kieran Hines plays an Arctic explorer, a different Arctic explorer, who is very you know, lauded and celebrated and whatever, who winds up going on an expedition to the Amazon because he's famous. And so they're like, oh, this will be great because you're such a famous explorer. And uh, the guy played by... Tobias Menzies? No, I'm thinking of The Lost City of Z. Charlie, oh. Charlie Hunnam. I was thinking of Garrett Hedlund's name, but they are not the same man. The guy played by Charlie Hunnam is like, why must I take this old man with me? And needless to say, he does not do well in the uh, rainforest environment. It's very humorous until it goes very bad. Um, but I just, I really want to know what's drawing Kieran Hines into these like incompetent explorer roles. Will he do a third one? Make it a trifecta? Like, I say just go for it. Find your I mean, third explorer project. I know I will be watching it, so... <laughs> We, we can just do a third, we can do a third thing where we discuss yeah. it once you've watched it. The thing about the terror, right, is that it's catering very much to my interests. It is in some regards very good. And it's also giving me a tantalizing glimpse of what a better version of this would be like. Because they have the resources to make something that's like quite good in many regards. But not covering all the bases and I really I want something that seriously leans into the psychology of why these people do this in the first place because like Morgan said the first episode isn't super eventful because they're already at sea and the first episode is basically just them very slowly realizing that they're probably going to be stuck at the North Pole for a while but you I think it would be good to see something that's of this length where like you either have more flashbacks or the first episode is literally just a character study on why the fuck anyone would make this incredibly suicidal decision. Because every single one of those people has to just... It's like running for president, right? Like, no one normal runs for president. No one normal in, like, 1850 is like, you know what? Maybe if we went to, you know, the really cold place where everyone dies and sees what happens there. This was a point when they thought there might be a giant underground sea there. They literally didn't know. It was like going to space, but in a wool coat with epaulets. (laughs) This is why you gotta go. You have to watch this movie. 
it's so much better than this. Because like, I did not, I, I mean, I am a hater, but like, I did not think the dialogue on the show was good either. I just generally, there were a few scenes I thought worked. Um, again, particularly as the show went along, I thought it improved just in those first three episodes. But I just found all of it to be sort of stiff and contrived. The In the second episode, you finally, like, some gay stuff happens. And I was like, yes, because there are 5,000 men here and no women. And even that is handled in a way that I was kind of rolling my eyes and like, really? Like, please. And again, I have not seen the rest of it, but there's so much room for just like weird, weird conversations. And again, this sort of psychological question of like, why are these people doing this? And Kieran Hines is such a good actor that he sells sort of okay dialogue in a way that made me feel like I really understood what that guy was like in terms of having this just like complete denial of anything bad happening ever. But the, the interactions between the characters never felt like real people interacting to me, despite the fact that all the actors in the show are really good. And that just felt like a massive missed opportunity because when you are, when you do have the sort of closed box type yeah. story, it's like a, it can be like a play almost. Um, yeah. And I, don't I mean, I obviously that. liked the dialogue and kind of all of the character relationships more than you, but I also think if they'd taken time away from other stuff that wasn't working, so, um, that wasn't moving so fast they would have benefited from doing more of the kind of psychological interplay stuff because instead of just going the the whole hog and being like they've been sent mad by you know not enough sunlight or by a giant beast monster whatever you can just show the kind of way that people go a bit weird yeah (laughs) because that's one of the kind of the main questions of when people are going on either long-term exploratory missions and historically or now kind of space missions like if you're you know if you listen to a lot of podcasts you probably heard ads by now for there's a new podcast called the habitat which is basically a reality show documentary about a bunch of people who spend a year on a fake mars habitat like in the martian which is great by the way but it's also it's it's like this is a documentary about what would happen and i'm like why episode three, the person who is making the documentary is like shipping people who are in the habitat. So it's like, it's, a, it's, it's not that serious. Um, <laughs> but like, you really, there's so much kind of room for that kind of interpersonal drama that isn't directly linked to the kind of core tension. And um, you, you mentioned, you know, there's some gay stuff, which there probably should have been more because like you said, literally everyone here is a man. Um, but I think the kind of the sign that this show didn't, never made it to mainstream rather than just being kind of reviewed by TV critics is that there's not really been any discourse about that because I think the best character in the show is one of the two guys you see having sex in that scene who is not a main character in the first few episodes. Like at first it seems like John Car- John. Um, Franklin is the main character and then after a while you realise it's Jared Harris's character who is kind of the slightly lower class captain who has like less obvious social skills but is a much more competent captain so you've got the kind of classic interplay between like two different kinds of leadership when like all of the stuff to do with leadership 
um, relationships is actually really good in the show, especially kind of towards the latter half of the season. But they brought forward a below decks character and they basically made him up from whole cloth because there was much less historical record about all the working class people. But they took this person named Cornelius Hickey, who we only know because his name was like written on a knife somewhere. And they basically made him into this absolutely monstrous person who is also just very funny um because at first you're like yeah he's kind of sympathetic because he's the one who you know he's he's just like a fun guy who's sort of a bit of a weasley twin and like he's having sex with some dude but he's a bit quite chill about it and the other guy is really stressed because what if they get hanged because it's 1850 and then as the show goes on you're like holy shit this guy is like he's a social genius who is manipulating literally every single person on the ship and by the end of the show he's a serial killer <laughs> so um but at the same time i was like I feel like if this show was more mainstream, there would be quite a lot of discourse about making the most prominent, like, gay or bisexual character a full-on straight-up murderer. Yes. Uh, so, like, there's there's kind of some issues to balance here. <laughs> well, right. And I found, just in the, again, the, the beginning of getting a grasp on the characters, I immediately found that character the most interesting. I, the actor whose name I can't remember... He's, he's like the one cast member in the main cast who's not very well known. He's just like a British actor who's in some historical dramas, but he is fucking great. And he's got his, all of his kind of body language and his facial expressions are when some, when you meet someone and they just have like a really frightening energy, he's got that. Like the kind of person who's going to headbutt someone for no reason kind of guy. He was the one person I looked up on IMDb because I was like, who is this person? Like, what has he done? The answer. And the very, answer is some guy. Yeah. Um, but I suspect he will be, we will see him in more stuff because he was great. But from the, like, minute one, I was like, oh, there's going to there's gonna be a problem here. Because, of course, of course, the one, the one guy is bad. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, technically, could too, because it does take two to tangle. But right. yes, the one guy. And yes, he does get whipped because this is a historical drama <laughs> and uh, someone does have to get whipped and he doesn't technically get whipped for being gay but by that point they kind of have figured it out um he's doing it for all of his crimes but you know but he is he is the most kind of independently compelling role because he's just this pure kind of agent of chaos and selfishness who's pushing all the other characters who are weaker than him into making horrible decisions so he's like satan and then the other people are more kind of master and commander characters who are just trying to survive at the North Pole. Um, but literally it would have been better if instead of having the monster, you just had him who was the one who was egging people on. Because that is literally what happens in every story about a bunch of people stuck somewhere is there's always one person who's like, wouldn't it be better if we were all psychopaths? Um, <laughs> and then the audience has split between people who are like, yeah, that's a really interesting point. And the others who are like, no, pool your resources because we live in a society. <laughs> yes. I feel like, I mean, how, what, in the later parts, what is the, is he the only sort of below decks character who gets much screen time? Well, they, they definitely, so the issue with this show, which my colleague who watched this, we watched a lot of it as well, had the same issue, which is that it's quite hard to remember the names of characters because every single guy is a white guy and a lot of them start to grow facial hair. <laughs> so it's like, who are these people individually if they're not literally Jared Harris? Yes. Um, but um, yeah, definitely. Like they do, they do have like a few below decks characters who emerge and have bigger roles. 
kind of of the main ones, like the main characters are the officers who are played by the most famous actors. So like Tobias Menzies is playing this quintessential Tobias Menzies character where he's like posh and a bit of a twat, you know, love him. Morgan's just picking her hand over her yeah. heart, which we all understand. And yeah. also while I was reviewing this show, um, most of the responses were from Tobias Menzies fan accounts. So I've discovered that Tobias Menzies has stands. <laughs> I would like to recommend to everyone the miniseries The Honourable Woman starring Maggie Gyllenhaal, which is nothing like this television program. Um, <laughs> but it's it's gen- it's so good. It's one of the best things I watched on TV in the past two years. I think it might be on Netflix anyway. It was a BBC thing. And um, Tobias Benzies is in it playing Maggie Gyllenhaal's security guard, who is genuinely just like a kind and good man. <laughs> I watched it with my friend James. And we were both like, what is going on? on it's like he's not going to poison someone or steal someone's husband and he was (laughs) he was so good and so compelling and i always really liked him as an actor and thought he was great and obviously like the people you are playing are not yourself like no of course but ever since watching that i've had like a a different kind of fondness for him because i was like (laughs) oh right you are just a guy (laughs) anyway yeah the honorable woman it's good stuff yeah he is good he was good in this too though i always enjoy enjoy him yeah but and he he lasts pretty long but yeah in terms of the blow decks characters they definitely have more and obviously by the end of it they're kind of splitting into factions because they're all trying to find different ways of dying um in the arctic circle but uh yeah it's 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 reasonably focusing on the aristocrats as per usual right because that was another thing that i found a bit tedious in the first few episodes was that they'd occasionally have a scene with the below decks guys and i was like i would enjoy more of this yeah possibly we and it's very it's very stuff. stereotypical as well especially like because that was something i picked up on in the first few episodes is that when you have below deck scenes hickey is obviously interesting but the others are very kind of classic historical drama like yeah. jocular lads having an ale and like was pranking each other and stuff and it's like you can go deeper than this you yes. can maybe give us some historical context on why they're on this ship in the first place because you know, by the end of it, they do make it clear that kind of there is a division between the Marines who are there of duty and some of the others who are effectively like press ganged, but they don't really yeah. lean into it. And it's like, no, tell us about the Napoleonic background of the class system, you bastards. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've been spoiled by black sails. <laughs> yes. So I recommended to the people, the Lost City of Z, what material would you suggest for for those perhaps more interested and perhaps interested in learning more about this subject matter since you are the resident expert. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately I have actually not read any like nonfiction books specifically about Franklin. And also he does not have a punchy memoir to read because obviously he did. Yes. So he did not write a kind of a postmortem on this one. He wrote an extremely long memoir about one of the earlier parts or like there's someone wrote a biography and it's like really long and boring. Um, I don't know if I actually do have any recommendations because all the stuff I've read has just been in bits and pieces or it's been stuff like um, my favourite explorer, Friedrich Nansen, Norwegian guy who was like about 40 years after this. But as a child was, you know, he was a Franklin fanboy and was following the hunt like everyone else. He wrote like a very fun memoir. Like a couple of months ago, I read Shackleton's memoir, which we did the mini-sode on on Patreon. 
and then Friedrich Nansen, which is tonally the absolute opposite, because Shackleton's all like, wind speed, 34, today we ate our shoes. And then Friedrich <laughs> Nansen is like, isn't it fun to kill animals in the wild wastelands of the North Pole? Today we wrestled a bear. Do oh, I do wish that I could see the warm embrace of my wife again. So he's always like, kind of joking, sort of running around like he was like an Olympic athlete. And, you know, he sexted a bunch of people. There's like nude photos of him on the internet. He's a great guy. Very fun Victorian gentlemen but um yeah no for franklin i guess our listeners can recommend non-fiction books to each other on twitter if they wish well i meant more just the 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 broad explorer territory we'll put some links in the show notes you gotta get yourself a big big fat explorer book i feel like this is the the future for you yeah (laughs) like middle-aged man non-fiction reading list that's that's what's coming well we have differing opinions on this show which is fine if you are a person who likes this stuff you probably like this show and if you're not you probably won't which it is by the way if you're thinking of trying this show which you should because like i said it's great although it has flaws but it's great um Trigger warning for basically everything apart from sexual assault. This show is just, like, literally so many Victorian surgery scenes, I cannot even. Like, there's a point where they're intercutting between a horrible historical surgery scene and someone going down in, like, a heavy metal underwater diving suit, and then he looks up and there's a corpse floating in the water, and I'm like, this is too much. Too much for me. (laughs) It's very disturbing show. Yeah. Well, next week, We will be discussing another show with some disturbing content, although in a very different way, which is Killing Eve, which we mentioned last week, Mm -hmm. which is currently airing in the US, will be airing at a future time in other places. Starring Sandra Oh is really great. It's about a serial killer. Less gory than this show, I would say. There's a little bit of gore, but not so much. Um... It's fantastic, written by Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who wrote Fleabag, very much about women and their issues, and also murder. So if that sounds good to you, I recommend catching up uh, or watching a few episodes. We will be discussing that next week. I really love it, uh, and I would highly recommend watching it. And I'm going to watch some of it before then. (laughs) Yes. So that will be coming to you next week uh thank you so much for listening as always if you enjoyed that and would like to uh, have access to some fun extra content you can always support us on patreon uh we really appreciate the support of everyone who is subscribing now that is you can find that at www.patreon.com slash overinvested podcast and otherwise you can find us at overinvestedpodcast.com on twitter at overinvestedpod or on tumblr at overinvestedpodcast thanks bye <laughs>